Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Musai Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Cabrera, and I hope you're all staying well and inspired to try something new this week. It would be amazing if you could take a moment and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so Musai Collective can move up the charts. On this week's episode, you'll be meeting up-and-coming DJ and soon-to-be producer Red Freya from London, UK. Red Freya has been building momentum in the London deep house and tech scene over the last couple of years, holding a monthly residency on Bloop London Radio with her Urban Soundscape show. Her music is nostalgic, emotional, and full of atmosphere, presenting a fusion between dreamy, melancholic sounds and percussive minimal grooves. You will always find a story and a journey to be taken in her mixes. She is in her early days as a music producer, but with professional jazz musicians on both sides of her family, creativity runs in the blood and she is surely one to watch for the future. Today, we discuss her anthropologic study on rave culture, her residency at Bloop London Radio, breaking through a male-dominated industry, and so much more. This musical Musai is an artist to watch and you can follow her on Instagram at DJ. I hope you enjoy this episode, and here's Red Freya on Musai Collective. Hello, Freya, aka Red Freya. Welcome to Musai Collective podcast today. How are you doing over there in London, England? Hi, Lindsay. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me today. So great to have you on the show. And I'd love to start off this conversation by reminiscing about your early rave days. And when did you first fall in love with electronic dance music? And what is your origin story? So I I got interested in dance music probably about 10 years ago now. So it's kind of interesting, but I think before I kind of tell a little story of that, I'll, I'll just kind of tell a little bit about my background. So I grew up in the Devonshire countryside in a, in a really small village. And when we wanted to go clubbing when I was like 17, 18, uh, it would take kind of 45 minutes to get to a nightclub and you're t- taking a taxi. And there was obviously no proper electronic music there. It was all kind of chart music and commercial music. So that was my first experience of kind of club culture. And then uh, a few years after that, I ended up visiting a friend in Cologne in Germany. And that was the first time I heard sort of house and techno music really at all on a proper sound system and in a space designed for, for listening to this music, you know. And that was that was quite a life-changing moment for me, actually, uh, spending time in a club and listening to this music. And I realized how I was really, really drawn to the sound. But, but since then, I've also thought about long car journeys I had with my family when I was a kid and how I had, um, I had like a night drive CD that had some, I guess, kind of like trance classics on it. And I remember having one family drive when I was a teenager and just playing one song on repeat for for like an hour, driving my family insane. So I think I was always um, drawn to this type of music. And uh, and then, yeah, this trip to Germany really sparked it for me. And then in the last kind of six, seven years, I moved to London for university. And obviously London's such an international kind of hub for dance music, some of the best clubs in the world, best acts in the world every weekend. So I was really spoil uh, in my student experience just going to some of the best nightclubs all the time and then in my family I have professional musicians on both sides of the family as well who who are in jazz so I already I studied a flute and, and classical training when I was a teenager and I was very interested in minimalism so that kind of led me it kind of all culminated together when I started uni the combination of the minimalistic elements that you get in classical music and then combining that with with sort of I guess melodic house and techno they kind of there's definitely a similarity there so I think that that's sort of my 
background and how I how I started getting into the scene. And then I just one time in a nightclub, I just really realized that it wasn't enough for me just to be on the dance floor and that the music was so so powerful to me. I didn't just want to be kind of like listening to it, but I really wanted to be doing what the DJ was doing and stringing these these songs together. Um, and also I realized that I had a borderline obsession with the music because I was listening to these songs at nine o'clock in the morning every every day. I yeah. do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wake up nine a.m. like I have, on. Yes, I have music on all day. <laughs> it's yeah. just, I need a soundtrack. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, thought, well, I thought it was normal to listen to like dance music really early in the morning, but then some of my friends were like this like they would listen to techno in a rave, but they wouldn't necessarily listen to it on the bus to uni the next day, you know. So yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So that was kind of the start of everything. And then, and then, yeah, I've been sort of DJing about four years now, I would say, but it's obviously been kind of interesting because the pandemic's been almost half that time. So that's, that's kind of the story of what's led me to today. And now um, I've been taking it kind of semi-professionally about the last two years. And I guess we'll, we'll talk a bit about some of the, the collectives who really kind of empowered me to, to take the step to, um, to take it more seriously. And I would say I, I'm really drawn to sort of, as I said, kind of melodic, deep house music music is my, is my vibe. Nice. I think we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think, you know, people that have never been to a music festival before, or maybe even never really heard this music. I feel like I like to call it the intro music, which might be one of the mainstream stages where you see like the mainstream acts and sound, and you don't realize there's a whole layer of culture. That's just like the surface. And then, you know, mm. you end up after these festivals going to this after party and that's where this music comes out right and I remember this I had this experience when I was my first year of winter music conference in Miami and I went to we went there for ultra music festival and I think we spent a total of four hours at the whole festival the whole weekend because we ended up at other parties in South Beach and it's like these underground parties we're like what is happening where are we (laughs) you know and then you really discover what's what's happening so and I guess they they call it underground I mean I guess they call it underground house and techno right this kind of genre but I mean it kind of still surprises me sort of that it, that it's called underground because to me this music speaks for itself it's so pop like it's so good I'm just like it should be really popular but uh yeah yeah Somebody. I think it's just like because maybe they consider that because it's not necessarily on the radio or mm. such as this also even like deeper electronic music or soundscapes can be in like movies and video games people don't realize they're hearing it but it's in your day-to-day yeah. life always so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so as a woman breaking into an oversaturated heavy boys club <laughs> how has your experience been entering the music industry and are there any female arts or DJ collectives that you've turned to for support and community on your journey. I think we spoke about this a little bit when we spoke before, but um, it's been it's been a really interesting experience trying to carve out a, a niche for myself as a as a female in the electronic music industry right now. It's such a dynamic time to be doing it. When I wanted to start out about four years ago, I felt so intimidated, and everybody that I knew who was DJing or taking it at all seriously, it was all guys and as you say, kind of boys club. And I did ask a few friends to. Kind kind of show me the ropes, but it, it never felt, uh, it never felt great. Also just being the only woman in the room. And I think when you, you, when you don't see very many women on lineups and stuff playing in clubs as well, if it's almost always a guy behind the decks, then you, you feel like there's a bit of a barrier to you. So I think one of the biggest hurdles I faced was just getting started in the first place and having any idea of learning how to do it. And that's where I was very lucky that a friend recommended me this, this female led collective Sisu, um, who are based in London, but they, I think they've kind of spread slightly global now and they're just growing and growing from strength to strength. And they were running some 
DJ workshops, just like female non-binary supporting workshops. So that's where I kind of started learning the basics. But then like over the past two, three years, I've obviously I've been kind of developing just myself. And now I feel like there is a bit of a sea change in the industry. I have definitely felt that as a female, I have had promoters kind of contact me and offer me gigs and opportunities where I can see that there's a real push to have um, much more representative lineups now. But I mean, I think we're seeing that more at the grassroots level, which is kind of where I'm based at the moment. And I, I still don't see that in big festival lineups. And I, I'm sure you see the same thing, having worked a lot in the festival space, that festival lineups still 95% male, even though there's a lot of talent in the female space. I agree. Yes. And something that you know, I've had this conversation with many talent buyers or, you know, promoters and it seems to be some kind of excuse or like, oh, there's not enough female artists. They're, there's, they're not available that day. It's just like, well, then book them more in advance or figure it <laughs> yeah. out. You know, like there are enough female DJs, actually. You just need to find them. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So also I uh, recently joined another uh, DJ collective. Actually, they had like a mixed series competition. She joined them and it's run by actually a good friend of mine. And she only started it in the pandemic, but she already has, I think, 25 young women in the collective playing a range of different genres. And they have a radio show on a few different radio channels already. So that's really exciting to be part of as well. And most of the women in this collective are all semi-professional, sort of starting out again, grassroots level, but taking it seriously. So it's really good peer support network. Nice. Yeah. I think it's important to have these female communities for support to turn to for advice, connections. Someone's got a connection at this club or this magazine, etc. So it's really great to collaborate. I think, you know, I have a friend and she always would say collaboration versus competition. And that's always stuck with me. That goes out to Shauna Ireland, if you're listening. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, collaboration over competition. And I think if we have that mindset, then everybody wins, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think I've definitely found that in the past couple of years as well. It's, it's things like if you can't do a gig and then you go to your, your support group and you offer that to them and it's vice versa. It's, uh, yeah, you build a lot of networks and support each yeah, other. Yeah, that's so nice. So you were telling me how you did an anthropology study on rave culture to see if there was a correlation between rave culture and happiness, which is actually soon to be published in the magazine Frontiers in Psychology. Can you tell us more about the study and some of the findings you had? So when I was in university doing my undergraduate degree, I did like a preliminary study into sort of the same area. And then uh, having graduated, a neighbor of my uh, research professor found out about the study and she's a professional researcher in anthropology based in the University of Kent. So she contacted me and said, okay, we're, we're a study and she was already working with someone who was looking at the impact of psychedelics because there's a lot of research happening in Imperial College London on uh, on psychedelic use in general. And so she was like, we're already kind of studying this from an anthropological perspective in the community and people's experiences with this. Um, and she wanted, she had an interest in rave culture. So she said, okay, can we design a study? And what we were trying to look at was obviously a lot of people across the globe do attend raves and kind of what are they getting out of it? Because especially in the media, kind of the perspective is that a lot of it is sort of just just pure hedonism and just escapism and our inkling was that maybe there's something more to this it's giving people a sense of community i mean that's that that in itself is kind of obvious but 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 digging a bit deeper into that what else do you get from attending a rave so in our study we surveyed i think about 500 participants and we gave them a detailed interview about their experiences and we came up with the theory that when you attend a rave it's a place that facilitates transformational experience and I think a lot of your listeners on the podcast, probably people who, who have attended many raves themselves in their time and 
can maybe relate to that, that, that walking in the doors of a rave at 10 p.m. and then you walk out again at 6 a.m. the next morning, you haven't just danced and had a fun time with your friends, but maybe you you actually feel like you've left some of your stress on the dance floor and you might have even come to realization of something in your life or you've shifted perspective in some way. So that was like our main thesis of, of what's, how, what's happening during the rave. And then we were looking at different things taking place that could be facilitating that. So we, we had this theory of the four Ds, which we called um, drumming, dancing, sleep deprivation, and drug use, just because those things are all kind of the, the part and parcel of the rave experience. And in the paper, we just sort of analyzed the, the outcomes of this. And another factor that we looked at was also the social bonding that takes place in the rave scene, because the community that exists really facilitates sort of openness between people. And we found that people who attend raves frequently score a lot higher on psychological openness. There's like a, what's it called? Like the rating scale. So there's a rating scale that you can measure people on. And so another area for, for future research is, is almost do people become more open the more they spend time in raves? So it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting area of study. And, and for us, it was important to do this research now and publish it in a, in a scientific journal because that is good evidence that can be used by councils and by governing bodies when it comes to awarding um, arts council and, and culture protection funding, which is so crucial in a, in a time like a pandemic. I love this study. That's so fascinating. And it's so true. I feel this way. Like when I've spent an entire evening into the early morning or maybe a special curated experience with your best friends, with the music, your favorite music mm-hmm. on the dance floor, like dancing for hours, I love that feeling. (laughs) And then you have like that afterglow, maybe for the week you're pretty tired, but also you're feeling full of like high, high vibrations and like full of love. And you just had so much fun, right? Actually, Jenner, who we actually just had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, she was saying that she actually, her day job is she's a lawyer and, you know, it's a very high stress job. And her coworkers would always say like, why are you always like so happy when you come back every week? And you know, she's like, it's because I dance every weekend. She's like, I dance yeah. every weekend. And the way she kind of like describes it to the, her coworkers is like, it's like going to see your favorite band every weekend, except I'm with my best friends and it's dance music and we dance. So I agree. I know it's a thing. And I think it's really cool that this is going to be published. So congratulations. Yeah. I mean, there's so much more to, to say about it so anybody listening should go and check out the paper at some point it'll be out probably like next year um, in frontiers and psychology but uh, nice. yeah yeah and you know as you mentioned there is nothing like the rave culture community so it usually strives to be an in- inclusive experience for everyone to attend and enjoy and people from all walks of life social classes and races come together in unity just to dance and connect. What are some of the ways in which the dance music community has had an impact on your journey? For me, I think it's been pretty life-changing. The people that I've met through attending raves have just changed my life. That's that's all I can really say in terms of the basics of it. I mean, my, my friend group from uni and all of my best friends and close friends, for the most part, all like this music as well. So we have had a lot of those bonding experiences on the dance floor and on the clubs of London the past kind of five, 10 years. But especially, I think in the past two or three years, since I started being more involved and more active in the scene and I started DJing, I I felt so supported by this community. And I know that when I made the Instagram for my, for my DJing, I, I, I have no idea really how it got from me making the Instagram that had zero followers and I just was like, I just started out, I made one post on there to where it is now, where I feel like it's 
it's such a community of I've met so many people up through Instagram who are based in either either in the London music scene and the deep house scene or also just across the world. I've met people in based in Germany and also in Australia and Melbourne who I would say are really good friends of mine now. And it's, it's literally just through the shared love of the music and the passion for this music. And I think there is something about this scene that goes beyond just the music. It does seem to attract people who, who, who are kind of quite open and have maybe similar personality traits in, in general. But, but yeah, I feel like it really fuels my creativity to have those kind of conversations with people as well. I agree. And, you know, it's funny how you say, you know, you made your, your artist profile and you go from zero to where you're at now. And the thing is that you, you know that all of those followers are genuine organic followers. So you've created your own Red Freya community already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you know? there's, there, there's like a, there's some, like, it must be like Dr. Seuss quote or something about <laughs> friendship, right? It's like a quote and it's like, how does that quote go? It's like, oh, I thought it was just me, but like, oh, I thought I was the only weird one, but you too or something. It's like having yeah. that moment and it's kind of like making a friendship, but it's it's really nice when, when it's kind of a whole shared community who will feel the same. Um, and also just talking again on the question you just raised about the mm-hmm. community, I would also just bring up the radio show show at Bloop because I've been doing that for about a year now and that is also such an amazing community to be part of of really really diverse range of artists but it's, it's really really supportive and everybody kind of is there for each other even though we all just play radio shows on the show yeah for sure and actually that was kind of where I was going next and I just wanted to say you know something that I always say is that music is medicine and I truly think it is I mean even though we love to listen to music at 9am it can lift your spirits at any time of the day you know whether you're just like in a good mood want to go for a run you're cooking it's a soundtrack of your life basically (laughs) you are a Bloop London Radio resident in which you host your own show Urban Soundscapes playing out new records from up and coming talents as well as the usual suspects in dance music so how has this outlet being a saving grace for you during the ups and downs of the year and a half of the pandemic, you know, being able to connect with an audience through your, your show. So playing on Bloop for me has been been a really transformational experience in, in kind of gaining experience as a DJ, because um, it's such a different thing to playing live in gigs, which is obviously lovely and really like that's what you want to be doing when you're DJing. But uh, I'd only just kind of started having my slightly bigger gigs before the pandemic hit hit. And then, uh, then I was kind of at home just mixing, doing nothing. But I was listening to a lot of Bloop radio shows and, and I don't know if uh, many listeners have come across the Bloop uh, station, but if you like deep and melodic sort of house and techno, that's definitely the, the station to check out because most of the shows kind of fall under that format. And uh, so I was listening a lot to, to Bloop and I was reposting loads of stuff on SoundCloud and then they got in touch with me in October or maybe like, um, you know, this time last year, sort of September and offered me the residency. I think they just noticed that I was reposting this stuff and they were like, who is this? Who is this person stalking us? Um, <laughs> like, like, you better come to the studio. Cause like, just, <laughs> just come here now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, so I, so I went along and started doing that and, and playing the show once a month for me, I, I take it really seriously. And I, I've taken it really seriously since I started. Like I, I just think a lot over the four weeks of the month of what songs I want to include in the show because it's only one hour long. So that's maybe 15 songs songs that are push if you're if you're mixing quite quickly between your tracks which isn't a lot of songs because there's so much music out there and it's it's really really important to me that I use the show as a platform to showcase upcoming producers not just the people who are you know top of the like beatport charts and house music charts and stuff because even though I'm not some massively famous DJ right now I I still think it's it's putting a limelight on these producers and sharing their work as much as widely as I can really because there's a lot of really talented people out there so yeah it's been 
been it's been it's been a beautiful thing to sort of curate the radio show and it's definitely for me it's not something where I just rock up once a month and just play whatever I find on my USB I really think carefully about how to curate I mean this, this, the show is called Urban Soundscapes so my kind of whole mentality for it was thinking about everybody mostly I was thinking about people in London and I guess people can listen from all over the world but people just living their lives as you said cooking dinner the show's at 7pm so I'm always thinking people might be in their kitchen <laughs> making their pasta or whatever yeah it's it's thinking about how to how to kind of create that that soundscape for life. I love it. Yes, soundscapes of life. <laughs> so staying in a creative ebb and flow can be challenging at times, and sometimes you can get a creative block. And then you know whether you're an artist or a writer or you're just doing your day to day job or whatever you may be doing, blocks happen due to the daily stresses of life, or maybe your mind is somewhere else. So besides music, what are some of your other favorite creative outlets that you enjoy? So I feel like I I feel like I'm a very, very creative person and the creativity, I feel like it just kind of narrates my life and I have to be doing creative things all the time. So I, I'm not like super skilled in many other creative things. I love cooking. I think cooking is actually a really creative uh, thing to to do, but I'm I'm not amazing at it. I, I also love sketching and drawing, especially using things like chalk pastels. That's like one of my favorite go-to mediums for for doing that as well. But again, I'm not like a a great artist, but I think it's so nice to just step away from your your phone and your laptop and all like the busyness of life and just kind of be in the moment and and create art in some way. But then for me, I mean, obviously music is is a huge thing and it's not just limited to to DJing and electronic music, but also, I mean, I play the piano and that's one of my favorite things to do to just sort of come up with with compositions on the piano as well, just free form, just sit down and play for for an hour or something and you can just get so much emotional expression and like pent up emotions out, which is, I guess, the root of a lot of creativity. And, And then also it's kind of interesting, but I feel like for me using Instagram, I kind of see it as a creative tool and an outlet as well. Like if anybody would follow me on Instagram, you would see that I post quite a lot on my Instagram. Like every day I do a post and I use the story function quite often as well. And for me, it's just, again, about sort of sharing your experience and curating day-to-day moments and making them special and making them into kind of rituals. That's a creative outlet. Yeah, no, for sure. I I agree about the whole Instagram platform. It's kind of like your canvas with what you're sharing with what a stories and all the filters now on stories like to make it kind of like a cool effect not the filters that change your face mm. <laughs> change your nose or something that's ones, a little yeah. too much but I like the trippy ones or yeah. like also just like the way you're posting on your feed color schemes patterns you know there's so many things I've been very much paying attention to this as well I think it's really great that you have so many other creative mediums that you go to for your day-to-day and I also think someone that needs creativity as well whether it's just like cooking is art drawing doodling coloring painting all these things it brings me joy and I feel that sometimes we lose touch with this side of things. So, you know, it's always great to maybe do just like one thing for yourself each day that's creative for like 20 to 30 minutes and just let go. And just, it's like meditative, you know, cooking is meditative. Coloring is meditative. So it's like kind of a double, a double positive. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, I really agree. And I think it's really meditative because you, you can lose track of time. Like you kind of get into that flow state when you're doing it. And, and it's, and it's just just beautiful to make something from nothing, whether that's just a picture you drew or like a dish you cooked. It's, it's uh, yeah. One of the best experiences in life, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're going to get to the next 
question. Can you share with us one or two muses in your life that you'd like to give a shout out to? So this took me some time to think about. And like, as I was saying to you, it's, 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 it's just like so many people. And, and, you know, one thing I would want to highlight here is a lot of the powerful, strong women that I'm in, in touch with, especially over like Instagram and just in the, in the music scene are just super, super inspiring to me. But I, because there's so many of them, I feel like I'm not going to, not going to mention any of those particular people just because I can't mention two or three, you know? So I would probably say she's actually a classical artist and her name is Hania Rani. And she, she, I don't know if you, I, I don't know if you've come across her work before. I have not, but continue. no, <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> but uh, she, yeah, she makes like uh, classical piano compositions and she just has such a beautiful touch with the work that she's creating. And it's, I come back to her albums again and again and again, and it really inspires me to go and create sets and, and you know, make things. It's very like emotional music. So I would say that, yeah, one of my biggest inspirations. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing. Okay. So we're going to get to your follow your bliss finale question. Can you share with us one positive affirmation or any life advice you'd like to share? Well, I was thinking about this and I do actually have a kind of uh, an affirmation and a phrase. So this phrase has been really guiding to me over the past uh, year or two in the music business, which is like a business of rush, 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 trying to get to your destination really quickly. Phrase, I saw it somewhere and I just love it. And it's uh, don't rush something that you want to last forever and it just it, it means a lot to me at the moment because I think when you're in the phase I'm in especially where you're sort of trying to establish yourself as an artist you can feel like I need to be at the next level I need to be working harder I need to be in, like doing more gigs and things and I'm trying so much to to do kind of the opposite of that and just I guess it's a cliche to say enjoy the journey but kind of just celebrate where I am right now and be happy for for what the journey is now even though it might, it might change at some point in the future but not try to just rush ahead if that makes sense. I think that's a really great mindset to be in as an up and coming artist, because if you're having unrealistic expectations for gigs, for media placements, for opportunities, then you're never going to be satisfied or happy. But it sounds like that you're living your day to day in gratitude. So I think that's the right way to to navigate through this. <laughs> yeah. And like for me, I mean, I, as I said, I'm sort of carving my way out right now. And it's, it's been, it's really, really exciting for me that I started to get offered bigger gigs in actual like large venues and stuff in London now. So that's kind of the next step for me over the coming months. But sometimes I, I play gigs in bars and, and it's really empty. There's not very many people there at all, or the people that, who are there ask me to play songs with words, which I get requests. Quite oh my often gosh. To that. No. And they just come to me and they say, please, can you play stuff with words? And <sighs> Uh, I still try to, to see it as something that is such a, uh, like, as, as I said, like, it's kind of a blessing and it's just something to be really grateful for that I have the opportunity to do this at all. Mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> the requests. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, I have a funny story. I have a funny yes. story about Tell it. So one of the bars where I play, I was playing and the music was quite loud. And obviously a lot of what I play is deep melodic house. So it doesn't always have vocals. And this guy came up to the DJ booth and was yelling at me because he's kind of drunk, uh, not aggressively, but just trying to be heard over the music. Yes. Uh, and he had a really strong Northern accent and he was quite drunk. So, so he was yelling like songs with words, but the words sounded kind of like weirds because it was like a, maybe like a Liverpool or like, I don't know, it was yes. weird, but I, I couldn't, because I couldn't really tell. So I thought he was just yelling like songs with weeds at me. Like, <laughs> and I was trying to understand yeah. and it took a few minutes. I, yeah. 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 And you're going to have, there's always like that one person that doesn't understand or like they don't know this kind of music. Mm. <laughs> 
I was at a party here at the beach and this girl kept coming up to the DJ booth and saying something. And at first I thought it was just a fan. My boyfriend, my boyfriend was playing and I thought it was just a girl, like whatever, just saying whatever, having a chit chat. Then she came up three times at the third time. It was like extremely aggressive. And then I was just like, okay, no, I've had enough. Cause like he's in the zone. Like he's in it. Like he's, he, he's not going to talk to you right now. Mm. So I was, I just like looked at her. I was like, Hey, it was like, that's enough. And I was like, get out of here kind of thing. And then I was like, what does she want? And then my friend was standing next to her. He's he's like, she wants reggaeton. And I was like, what? I'm like, he's literally playing like a melodic techno set right now on the beach. Who brought this girl here? (laughs) Tell her to go. I was like, oh, if I had heard her say that, I would have, there would have been a whole other conversation, but it was so funny. (laughs) I was like, okay, it was so funny. Um, (laughs) But like, she was also quite intoxicated and uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) usually the case. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing that affirmation with us. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And we're finally connecting. I know we connected a few months ago now and finally got a date and here we are. So it's going to be live. And actually Red Freya will be curating a very special Musai mix for us, which will be coming out on September 28th. So stay tuned for that mix. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> yes. And uh, just thank you so much for having me here on the, on the podcast. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 I love what you guys are doing here with the Musai Collective. And I, I think, you know, female empowerment is, is really, it's important. It is great. So I'm really happy that you guys are carving out a space for that as well. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to have you. And I look forward to seeing you grow as an artist. Yeah, (laughs) it's exciting. Let's see what happens. Well, I wish you all the best and we'll hopefully maybe see you in the future. Yes, in the Dominican Republic. Yes, you have to come here. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. 